Amen. So, or our sidewalk or anywhere else. I wish that was just a standard uh, thing. Then I would love snow. But it's, it's gorgeous out, start of the new year, start of a brand new sermon series as well. So on your way in, you should have received a book that looks just like this, ESV Journal uh, for the book of James. We did this in our study of First and Second Timothy. We got feedback from everybody that it made it really nice for you to be able to keep all your notes in one spot. And that's kind of the idea. Fill these out. It's something you can keep forever. In fact, it'd be really cool to think about something that you could pass on uh, to somebody else later on. And so that's why we want to put these in your hands. And so you'll need these this morning. You also need your Bibles. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them to the book of James. We're going to be in James for the next 12 weeks. What we're going to look at in the book of James is 12 subjects that James addresses that we all need to hear. And James, as you know, is a very practical book of the Bible. In fact, the main theme of James is that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. You hear me pray that often. I want that to be what our church family is known for, that we're not known for just accumulating more and more knowledge, but we're actually putting what we know to be true in God's word into action. We want to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And so we're going to look in the next 12 weeks at 12 subjects in this book. And as you uh, know, it's also uh, known for a book being about faith and works and how they complement one another. So we're reminded that we are not saved by our works, but we're saved for good works. That's to say that genuine faith leads to works. Genuine faith leads to action. And so that's what we're going to see in this book. So if you would go ahead and grab your James notes. A couple of things that I think would be beneficial for you to jot down as notes before we get into the main text this morning is a little bit of introduction to the book. Now we see in James chapter 1 verse 1 that we have author and setup here and it says that James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. So this is a letter. It's an epistle. We get the author right out of the gate. Um, in fact, I told my kids or asked my kids uh, yesterday, I said, do you know who wrote the book of James? And they all just stared at me, right? And it was like uncomfortably quiet. I'm like, this is not a trick question. Please someone get this right. And so finally Cameron goes, James? Not super confidently, but, but he said James. I was like, that's right. It is James, all right? And so this is unique in the sense that this was not one of the apostles. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, all right? And so we know that he is the author here of this book. And the reason why this is significant is because in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 21, we're told that James, the half-brother of Christ, is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. All right, the church in Jerusalem, the very first church that was born. As you know, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he stands up. He proclaims the good news of the gospel. Thousands of people give their life to Christ. On multiple occasions, this happens. So the, the growth in Jerusalem is happening rapidly. Uh, we believe there just in the first couple of months of the early church, uh, the church is somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people uh, strong. And so you have all of these new believers in Jerusalem predominantly Jewish believers in Christ. And so James is writing to them, and he says, I'm writing to you as part of the group that's in the dispersion, right? So what does that mean? Something significant happens in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8. 
If you remember in Acts chapter 8 and around there, as the church is expanding and growing, persecution begins to rise. And we see in Acts chapter 8, one of the very first martyrs in Scripture is a man by the name of Stephen. Now, Stephen is martyred for his faith, and God uses that persecution that begins to break out to disperse the believers to other areas so they might share the gospel. Remember, God said in Acts chapter 1 that this is... Is for all people, you're to go share it. This isn't just for Jerusalem. I want you to take this to Judea. I mean, that's hard to say. To Judea and to the ends of the earth, right? And so up to that point, they had not gone anywhere outside of Jerusalem. So to aid them in that, God uses the persecution that breaks out to disperse them. And that's important for you to know in the context of this book that these are the people that James is writing to, particularly for our purposes this morning. Because the very first subject that James talks to these people in the dispersion about is facing trials. Facing trials. And so it's a unique way to start any book. Um, it, you know, Philippians is all about encouragement and this and that. This one's just like trials right out of the gate, all right? But I pray, my prayer all week for everyone here has been that we wouldn't take this as discouragement, but in fact, we would be encouraged talking about this subject this morning as we gather together. And so that's where we're heading today. We're going to look at the very first subject in this book on the subject of trials. So we're going to read verse 2 through verse 12, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll spend a little bit of time looking at four truths from this text today, okay? So if you would, grab your Bibles, James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, read along with me. James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would help us to understand it. God, that you would illuminate it for us. God, we do ask you for wisdom, your wisdom. God, help us to know how to apply what we read to our lives, God, as James is going to say in this book, Lord, we want to be doers and not hearers only. So God, help us to apply this to our lives. Lord, help us to wrestle with this subject. God, most of all, I pray that every single believer in this room this morning, that they would recognize, Lord, that this is an encouragement. And God, I pray that you would meet with them, and I pray that you would personally encourage them through the working of your word on their heart and on their mind this morning. Lord, we pray that you'd go before us and that you would have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, so as I said, we're going to look at four truths that we find in this text and unpack them a little further this morning. And the very first one that we find in James chapter 1 on the subject of trials, we find in verse 2. So number one is this, that trials are to be expected. Trials are to be expected. All right, notice a couple of words in verse 2. The first one that I want to highlight is this, that James says, when you meet trials. James uses the word when and not if. That's important for us as believers that we recognize this, that trials are to be expected. In fact, we see throughout Scripture that for believers, maybe even more so because of our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus actually tells us that. He says, listen, if the people are willing to come after me to afflict me, Make no mistake about it, the same thing is going to happen to you. And so it's good that we are reminded that trials are to be expected. It's not when, or excuse me, it's not if, but when. The second word that I want to highlight in here is that he uses the word various, various kinds, right? So, so James recognizes that there's all kinds of afflictions that you can face. There's all kinds of trials that you can face, right? Some, some maybe aren't so uh, huge, but, but nonetheless, they're trials. And then other times you face stuff that, that are nearly unbearable, right? And we recognize that the truth in the word is that we will face these things. And by the way, you can face things that you can't handle on your own, but you have Jesus Christ who can handle all things. And so that's the truth of the word. Don't be surprised when you encounter various trials. James is picking up on the exact same theme. He's saying, listen, believer in Jesus, trials are to be expected. It's not if, but when, and recognize that they, be, they can be of various kinds. Then the last word I want to point out here is count it all joy. Count it all joy. Right out of the gate in verse 2, James pins something that I'm not exactly certain what to do with. You ever come across a verse like that? As you're reading through it, you're going, wait a second. Are you telling me I'm supposed to count it joy when I experience trials? I'm to count it joy when I face afflictions, right? And let's, let's make sure that we understand this for a second because what, what James is not saying is that the joy is found in the trial. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying like you should be like, oh, yes, good, good for me, right? That, that's not what James means here. James, James means that there's something behind it, though, that's worthy of us being joyful about, right? And so that's what we see here in verse 2, that trials are to be expected. Now, remember, in context, he's writing this to a group of former Jews that now have put their faith and trust in Christ, and now they're experiencing persecution and affliction and trials daily, right? They are now some of the poorest people because they can't find jobs. There's no way for them to make a living because of their faith in Jesus. And everywhere they turn, they're finding themselves in a more and more difficult circumstance. And it's important for us to know that while trials are to be expected, it's, it's good for us to recognize, though, that, that it's not because God's mad at us, right? It's not because necessarily... Let me walk this back a little bit. You could be facing something because you are unwise, right? And you've made some decisions that are poor. We, we know that to be true. But most of the time when we look at these trials and these afflictions, what James has in mind are things that are outside of our control. And it's good for this 
group of Jewish believers to know that because, listen, they've spent their whole life growing up being told, like, listen, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, everything will be fine. But if you're not, then bad things might happen. Think the book of Job, right? In my yearly reading right now, if you're reading through chronologically, we start a little bit in Genesis and then we jump straight to Job. And in that book, that's what the whole theme is about, right? Job begins to experience these trials, these afflictions, all of these things come upon him. And what do his friends do? They go to him and they say, Job, what have you done? Are, are, you, are you in sin? Did you do something to make God mad? And listen, it's important for us to understand that we can expect trials, but we need to recognize that that's not the reason why we face them. We're going to face trials and afflictions of these kinds because we live in a broken world. As a result of sin, we live in brokenness daily. And as a result of our faith in Christ, we will face trials and afflictions. It's not, or it is, excuse me, to be expected. The second thing that he talks about in here, by the way, it kind of goes together with, with the joy. The reason why James says count it all joy is because what comes next. We find this in verse 3 and 4. So the second truth that we need to be reminded of this morning is that trials produce spiritual maturity. Trials produce spiritual maturity. We talked about this a little bit last week on the subject of abiding, that God uses what we go through to grow us, to conform us into the image of his son. That's what we see in verse three and four. Look at verse three. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is a life of endurance in the midst of affliction. And I love that James, uh, he points to their experience, right? He says, for you know. Every single person in here that knows Jesus Christ, you know as well. You, you know this to be true, that the things that you've gone through created endurance in you. They created faith in you. They created a closer relationship with the Lord. Aaron and I talk about this all the time. When her mom was diagnosed with cancer and we walked through those days, listen, we would never want to walk through that again. Neither one of us are raising our hand and saying, hey, we want to be a part of that. But you know what God did? God met with us there. God, God encouraged us. God grew us in our faith. And you can ask Erin to this day, she wouldn't hope that for anyone else to ever have to experience. But she would be the first to tell you that I have no idea where my relationship with Christ would be today had I not walked through those dark, difficult days. And so we know that God uses trials to produce spiritual maturity. Again, God is not causing these things to happen to us. God is working through these things. It's important that we understand that, and it's going to create steadfastness or endurance in the midst of affliction. In verse 4, he continues on. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, God desires for you to grow. God does not want you to come to saving faith and then just hang out there as a baby Christian for the rest of your life. God's desire for you is that you would grow into a mature believer. And like we've talked about a million times, I wish there was a way for us to just do that and just receive the things that we ask for without the classroom of life, right? But that's not how God works. It's not how he operates. God grows us and matures us. We were talking about this this week. It's, it's like growing up as a kid, right? Parents in the room, you know this to be true. Kids, you don't know this yet. Write this down, though. It's coming one day. You're going to look at your children and go, why don't they just do what we tell them to do? Right? Like, like, isn't it good? Like, don't they know that we know? 
Don't, don't they know that we're not trying to keep them from good things? We're trying to keep you from, from terrible things. Things that we know to be true, right? But, but how did we get here? How, how did we mature by going through those things? We did the exact same things to our parents, right? And they just shook their heads at us. They said, I'm gonna pray for you, right? And then we got to do the same thing again and again. The same thing is true about our spiritual maturity. There are no shortcuts. There is no easy button. God uses the classroom of life and trials are one of the things that God uses to create in us steadfastness and spiritual maturity. Listen, I don't know about you, but there is something calming and encouraging to me when I think about the fact that God wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. There's not an experience that you've gone through. There's not a trial that you face, an affliction that's come upon you, a diagnosis that you've had to walk through, a death that you've had to face. God wastes none of those things. God uses those things to grow us and mature us. And like we've already established, many of those things, none of us would raise our hand and and willingly want to go through again. But man, we've got to wrestle with the fact that we know that our relationship with God is now different and closer than it ever would have been had we not faced those trials and afflictions. Third thing we see in this text is that trials reveal our need for God. Trials reveal our need for God. We find this in verses five through eight. And I want you to pick up on this. In these, in these four verses here, James talks about three things. He really highlights three things. And all of these things are reminders to us and should reveal to us that we can't do this on our own. We actually do need God. In fact, it's counterproductive to try to do things on our own. We must start out recognizing that we need the Lord. Pastor Brian already said that. Sometimes when we face trials, what do we do? We turn to the Lord and immediately do what we're supposed to do as Christians. Lean on him. But then there's other times when what do we do? Like, you know what? I got this. And we begin to work harder and we begin to try to do more things until we finally come to the end of ourselves and turn back to God and go, okay, Lord, there's nothing left that I can do. We need your help. And that's what we don't want to do. We want to honor God by recognizing that we need him and going to him when we face trials and difficulties and afflictions. It's another reason why we we need one another too. That's why I encourage you. Be careful who you share stuff with. That you, you need to use wisdom and discernment. But listen, don't try to walk, walk alone in these things. You need the Lord. You need other people around you. But that's what we're seeing, that trials reveal our need for God. So what are the three things in these verses? Well, look at verse 5. He says, the first thing is wisdom. You need wisdom which is God-given discernment, right? It's more than knowledge. It's the application of knowledge. God, help me to know what to do in this trial that I'm facing, in this affliction that's before me. And he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, who will give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So James says, listen, you're gonna find yourself in in times where you don't have God-given discernment. You don't know how. You, you don't know the next step. You ever been there before? You feel like you're just walking through something with a blindfold on? You're like, Lord, a little bit more information here would be helpful, but oftentimes God doesn't share the whole thing with you. He doesn't go over the full plan with you. 
but he does help you walk through it. And what James is saying is you can request of him God-given discernment to help you as you face trials and affliction. But you've got to ask him for it. And the Bible tells us that if you would ask him, he's faithful to give discernment to you. So this helps us know how to live practically. This is simply us coming to a place where we say, God, help me face this trial. God, give me your wisdom. Help me to know what to do. Or maybe even better, what not to do. And lean into that with the Lord. The next thing that we see is in verse 6. He says we need God not only for wisdom, but we need God for faith. You ever thought about that before? Your your faith is really actually supplied to you from the Lord. And he allows us to build our faith with him. Because of his trustworthiness, we can put our full confidence in him. So we see in verse 6, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. So he says, you need to go for the Lord, to the Lord for faith. You need to go to the Lord for wisdom. And when you go for faith, listen, it's simply this. God, I trust you. You may have found yourself in that position before as well. I don't know how. I don't know what. But I trust you. Remember when we first moved here, we went through some of that. Our house went on the market. It immediately got a contract. We're like, okay, the Lord's in this whole thing. We move here. And then the wheels came off, right? And everything started to go the opposite of that. And in that moment, we had to have faith in God. We had to just pray a lot and just say, God, I don't know how. I don't know what. I don't know why. Here's what I do know. I trust you. My confidence is in you. Why? Because we've been here before. And you've proven yourself faithful over and over again. The third thing that he addresses in this text is doubt. Well, do we need the Lord to help us with doubt? I'm telling you, this is there, there's something reassuring and refreshing to me when I say that God knows we are a doubting people. When you have doubts, God's not shocked. God's not surprised that you might come to a place of doubt. But listen, he encourages us not to lean into that, Right? He says, don't doubt. Don't doubt God's goodness. That makes you double-minded and it's dishonoring to God. And listen, that is one of the number one tactics of the enemy. The enemy is going to convince you that God is not good. If God was good, would you be facing what you're facing? If God cared about you, Would he let your family member die? If God cared about you, would he let you lose your job? This is what the enemy does. And what he's doing is he's sowing doubt to the point where you begin to believe it and buy into it and begin to question the Lord. And and James is saying, don't do that. That makes you a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Instead, do what? Listen, God, I know that you are good. And if you are struggling with doubt, Ask God to help you with it. God, I need you. There's a passage in Scripture where a man says, listen, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. What does that mean? That means I believe and I want to believe. But at the same time, I find myself doubting. It's not uncommon 
Go to the Lord. Remember, trials reveal our need for God. You need God for wisdom. You need God for faith. You need God to help you with your doubts. So encourage yourself in the Lord. Two things. Go to the source of truth. If you ever find yourself in that place, man, make a beeline to God's word. Make a beeline to God's word because that is the source of truth where we're reminded that God is in fact good. God does in fact care for us and that he's working all things on our behalf and for our good. Second thing I would encourage you with is to to find other people. As I said before, surround yourself with folks who can help encourage you, help lift you up. You don't wanna walk through these things alone. Last but certainly not least is is find something to sing. As we were singing that song earlier, there's a line in there that says, my weapon is a melody. Anyone else in here like go through really hard times? Do you like cling to songs? Anyone? I I know there's gotta be hands everywhere. That you would cling to a song, cling to God's word, cling to other faithful believers. But man, encourage yourself with this. Listen, I wanted to read this to you because I know in times of of need and, and difficult things that I've faced, I've often gone back to this song. It's, it's actually a, a Big Daddy Weave song. What a crazy name, right? Big Daddy Weave. I don't know who came up with that. But they wrote a song called I Know. And man, when you listen to it, what it's doing is reminding you of the truth, the reality that God does in fact care for you and that you need him. Can I read it for you? I just wanna read a couple of these lyrics. It starts out by saying, you don't answer all my questions, but you hear me when I speak. You don't keep my heart from breaking, but when it does, you weep with me. Think Jesus and Lazarus dies. What's he do? He doesn't show up and say, hey listen, Suck it up, we'll be fine. No, he weeps with Mary and Martha. He goes on to say, you're so close that I can feel you when I've lost the words to pray. And though my eyes have never seen you, I've seen enough to say, I know that you are good. I know that you are kind. I know that you are so much more than what I leave behind. I know that I am loved. I know that I am safe. Because even in the fire, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I know that you are good. He continues on in the next verse. He says, I don't understand the sorrow, but you're calm within the storm. Sometimes this weight is overwhelming, but I don't carry it alone. You're still close when I can't feel you, I don't have to be afraid. And though my eyes have never seen you, I've seen enough to say, I know that you are good. I know that you are kind. I know that you are so much more than what I leave behind. I know that I am loved and I know that I am safe because even in the fire to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Daniel, chapter 3. 
where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to go face the fiery trial before them. And I love their faith in that moment. I love what it means in this song as well. They say, listen, our God can deliver us, but even if he does not, we're good. We're good. And that's what leads me to the final thing in verse 12. Check this out, the last truth here. Trials remind us that this isn't our home. That this isn't our home. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in a trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the, receive the crown of life. Let me let you in on this little secret. To be in Christ is to be secure. You, you will endure. You will stand the test of time. God promises that. And awaiting you are eternal blessings. And that's what's so powerful about this is that we're reminded that what's awaiting us is the crown of life. That we get to be with Jesus. I'm reminded of Paul in Scripture. Listen, I don't know anyone else in the New Testament that went through more stuff than Paul. You want to talk about trials? You want to talk about afflictions? You want to talk about persecution? This brother went through more stuff on his own than most all of us in this room combined. And what would he say about it? He would say it's light and momentary. How could you say that? How could you come to that conclusion that the trials before you, the afflictions before you, the persecutions before you are light and momentary? He's able to say that because Paul, excuse me, got to see what heaven was going to be like. And he concluded that this, all of this, this is nothing. This is light and momentary compared to what is awaiting me in heaven, eternal blessings. So remember, when you face trials, when you face afflictions, it's just a reminder to you that this isn't it. This isn't your home. There is so much more waiting for you. I ask you just bow your head and close your eyes right where you're at this morning. I'm gonna do things a little bit different today in, in response to, to this subject. We know, just as a church staff, that, man, there's been a lot of stuff this past year. Maybe there's some stuff that has just come up and crept up over this Christmas break. Maybe there's some things that are about to happen this year that you have no idea about. But, man, listen, God does. And I want you to be encouraged and reminded of these things. Listen, don't, don't be shocked when you face trials and affliction. They're to be expected. And remind yourself that God wastes none of them. But in the midst of them, he's with you and he wants a relationship with you and he wants a close relationship with you. And you need him. You need him for wisdom and faith and you need him when doubts creep in. You need the Lord in these seasons. So don't hesitate. Reach out to God first and trust and know that, listen, this isn't it. No matter the outcome of anything we face as believers, it's light and it's momentary. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. God, we thank you that we can trust you. God, we thank you that we are safe in you. 
There's nothing that this world can do to us. There's nothing that the enemy can do to us. We are yours. So God, I pray that you would meet every single person here this morning in a very specific, in a very powerful way. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that they are yours and that you're aware and you know and you've got them. We pray this in Christ's name.